I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connections, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. Another really beautiful episode. So typically on the show, the guests have been people that have been recovered for a really long time and are now in the field, or people that have made an incredible contribution to the field of eating disorders, yet still had never had an eating disorder themselves. Today, my guest is Jacqueline Bent, and she's a beautiful soul. Jacqueline has just been recovered for probably about a year, and she is in school to be a dietitian, which by the way, doesn't typically mesh well. That's a really, really, really early time to start working in the field of eating disorders or studying in the field of eating disorders. Jacqueline has a tremendous amount of insight and a lot of vulnerability and a lot of courage. And we wanted to bring her on because we think her narrative is just as important as everybody else's. All right, here we go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am really happy to introduce our guest for today, Jacqueline Bent. Jacqueline, welcome to the show. Hello, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really thrilled to have you. I'm excited. I have some wonderful things that we're going to talk about. And before we jump into it, Jacqueline, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. So hello, everyone. My name is Jacqueline Bent. And I am, first off, I'm a certified personal trainer, and I am a registered dietitian to be. So I'm actually still in school. I go to school at The Ohio State University here in Columbus, Ohio. I am studying medical dietetics and will begin my dietetic internship this summer um, with hopes to become a registered dietitian probably within a year. So that's exciting. Um, in addition to that, I do have my own nutrition coaching business called Fueling Freedom Nutrition. It is something new and more of a new project that I've been working on recently. Um, in addition to that, I also do have my own podcast called Bits of Balance, so you can find me there as well. Yeah, there's a lot of places where people can go to find you, right? Yes, there are. I think it's great. You and I were talking a little bit before we started recording, and I, for myself, I didn't start working in the field until about, I'm going to say 10 years after being recovered. Your 
somewhat young in your recovery process. And I want to ask you how it is studying this. Are you getting triggered? If so, how do you navigate through it? Is it exciting? Do you feel proud of yourself as you're reading things and thinking, gosh, I've, I've accomplished this in my own process? Like, give us a general picture of what it's like. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good question. So, my career path was definitely heavily influenced by my history with an eating disorder. And, like you mentioned, I am young, I'm only 21 years old, um, just about a year and a half into recovery um, right now. So initially, I went to college studying health sciences with the hopes to become a physician's assistant or a PA. And I have always found the human body very fascinating. I took an anatomy class my junior year of high school and absolutely loved it. And so that's why I went into health sciences. And then I think I was just a semester into college and I realized I want to change my major. I don't think I'm as passionate about this as I once thought I was. And at the time, my freshman year of college was definitely the time where I was in the depths and throes of my eating disorder. It was the time when I struggled the most. And I was constantly, you know, looking up nutrition facts online, looking up calorie counts on different foods. And because I was obsessed, like I, my brain was so focused on food. And in turn, that led me to be like, well, I'm already understanding all of these different nutrition related things. And like, I understand food and how it affects the body because of my unhealthy obsession at the time, which I thought was me actually pursuing health, but it wasn't. And so I applied to the medical dietetics major here at Ohio State. And it's a very competitive major. And I told my parents that I applied and my I have two older sisters, I told them and they were both like, Jacqueline, like, are you sure you want to do that? Like, I don't think this is good for you. And at the time I was still in denial, I think about um, the problem that I had and the issues that I was experiencing. I had not put like a label of an eating disorder on it at all yet. But it's interesting because now that I think about it, I remember going into the interview to get into the medical dietetics program and explaining that I had dealt with my own food issues myself and that I wanted to help others. But it's weird because I was still in the depths of it, but I guess there was still some part of me that knew that I wanted to get out of this and wanted to eventually help others. So transitioning into really starting that curriculum and education my sophomore year and this past year my mindset has shifted a ton and I'm sure we'll kind of dive deeper into how I started recovery and chose recovery and all of that. But I will say a lot of what we learn in dietetics is based on, you know, someone's BMI status. That's one of the first things that we look at for a patient or a client. We also are looking at what is their ideal body weight? How many calories are they eating? And we have had homework assignments where we'd ha we have had to, you know, count the amount of calories that we're eating in a day and macros and all of that. So obviously being in recovery, that is not something that I want to focus on and I want to think about because it can be triggering to me, like you said. However, I feel like for me, and I've talked with my therapist about this, that a lot of what I learn, I have to take with a grain of salt per se and not and know that I'm not applying this to my own life. And it's just one step in my journey of becoming a registered dietitian because it's things that we have to do and we have to learn. 
but just making sure that I don't feel like this is something that I need to do and just trusting the process with it all and taking it with a grain of salt, like I said. So, yeah. Well, I also want to point out something that you just said when you you referenced talking to your, checking in with your own therapist. And that's really important, especially, and when I keep saying you're so young in the career, I just mean experience-wise with, with, with the work. So the fact that you're, you know, present enough to to continue with your therapist and say gosh you know this this might be a little tricky uh, this this might be a lot to navigate i think is a sign of a recovery a sign of that you're you're constantly looking at yourself which is really really important it's part of the process that keeps us fully recovered or has kept me fully recovered absolutely there was there's something let me take let me take a step back. So how was it that you sort of came to this understanding though that you had your own struggle that was happening even though as you said you thought you were applying all of this like calorie counting and this and that you thought you were doing it in a healthy way how did you come to your own understanding of like wait a minute I am I'm not taking care of myself this is this is not health this is obsessive this is an eating disorder Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And it took me so long to do that because my eating disorder actually all started with a diet when I was 15 years old. And it was at the time a diet that I thought was not a big deal. And it was just, I want to lose a few to go on this spring break and look good in my bikini. And I now realize how harmful that was because I most likely have, you know, personality traits and environmental factors, genetic factors that predisposed me to developing an eating disorder. Um, But at the time, I thought that it was innocent. And throughout all of high school, my parents had kind of been in control. So they were making sure that I was eating enough, eating what I was supposed to eat, um, making sure that my weight was stable and that I was at a, quote, healthy weight and things like that. However, when I came to college, I was in control again, and it spiraled out of control. And for me, my eating disorder did manifest in the way that I lost weight and had very obvious physical changes within my body. Um, So I always knew that in the back of my mind. However, it was actually my parents. I went home freshman year of college for my Christmas slash winter break, and they were actually the people that forced me to get help at the time. And I remember being on the phone with them the day before my first therapy appointment and being so freaked out, so scared. I had so much fear and anxiety wrapped up in it because at the time, I think there also was such a stigma against going to therapy. And I think there still somewhat is, but I think that we are doing a very great job of moving away from that as a society. However, Going into therapy the first time, I think I started to understand that I had a problem, but I was still fearful of labeling it as an eating disorder, and I didn't know exactly what it was. So it wasn't until I would say probably a few sessions with my therapist that she she named it as an eating disorder. She is an eating disorder therapist, so she specializes um, solely like in that area, and that's when I was able to accept it and realize this is what I'm struggling with. And 
kind of move on from there and move into recovery from there because I feel like I was truly able to understand it and understand that it was a mental illness and that it wasn't my fault and that it wasn't a choice. You had insinuated earlier that you can do the work, take it with a grain of salt, you know, know that some of these things are are not being applied to you. Are there times though, when it gets triggering, when you're doing some of the, the work that you're doing in nutrition, the studies, all of these things, are there times that it gets triggering? And what are some skills that you use to pull yourself out of it? Or yeah, coping skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say probably a year ago when I first really delved deeper into the nutrition classes, I would get triggered. And But now I would say I don't get nearly as triggered as I used to. And I think that speaks a lot to where I'm at in my recovery journey. Um, But when I would get triggered in the past, a lot of the coping skills that I would do is, one, I would get curious about my thoughts rather than judging myself for having these thoughts. Like maybe I'm doing a calorie count on a classmate. A thought could pop up oh, they're only eating this much, maybe I should only be eating this much. That's just one example um, because the eating disorder is very good at comparison. However, now I get curious about the thought, release the judgment from the thought. And one of the best things I can do is just journal and journal about it. Think about the next day. Well, I guess the next day, read what I was thinking and be able to reframe those thoughts and also just making sure that my thoughts and my actions that I'm taking are aligned with my values. That's a big, um, I guess, just coping skill for me and a great question that I ask myself, like, are the thoughts that I'm having or are the actions that I'm going to take aligned with my values or are they aligned with the eating disorders values? Because I like to separate the two. I see that I have the eating disorder and then I have my healthy self. And just always ensuring that I'm acting on those healthy thoughts. It's so important to ask that question. Is what, I, what I'm thinking or wanting to do, is it in line with my values or my eating disorder? And I guarantee, I will guarantee everyone, if you take a pause, stop, and really think, your eating disorder does not align with your values. And it is that that behavior that that somebody is thinking about doing is not going to align with their values. And and it's a powerful thing to draw from. Mm -hmm. Yes, it definitely is. Can you speak a little bit about your personal coaching? Because I'm wondering how that how do you work with i'm assuming as a coach as a as a uh, you're you're a fitness coach correct yes i am a certified personal trainer yep so as a personal trainer are you getting people that are coming to you saying i want to lose weight i need to lose weight how do you how do you help somebody be in their body and, and separate what society says a body's supposed to be and what we want someone to, how we want someone to feel in their body. How does that play out for you? 
Yes. So I definitely do get a lot of people that come to me and want to lose weight or they want to work out in hopes to change their body. And it's interesting because I feel like I'm very vocal on my social channels and on my Instagram about I do not work out to change my body. I work out to feel strong, to feel empowered, to see what my body's capable of and do movement that I truly enjoy. However, there are going to be those people that want to change their body. And I'm not saying that's wrong. That is completely okay. And that is what society teaches us. And it takes time to work through that and reframe those thoughts and realize that we are okay in our bodies, just how our bodies are right now. However, when people come to me and say, I want to lose weight or I want to get toned, I will usually tell them I'm not going to prescribe a workout plan for you to lose weight. That is not my reasoning here. I want to prescribe something to you that will make you feel good and make you motivated to go to the gym or even to work it out your work out at your home, but motivated with the right mindset, not motivated to burn X calories, motivated to feel good in your body. And that is one of the first things I tell someone. This workout program is not to lose weight. It is more of for your mindset, because I think when we move our bodies in a way that we truly enjoy, then our mindset will shift around movement as well. And we'll realize that, oh, like this actually does make me feel good. And it's not necessarily about changing my body type of thing. Um, so hopefully that answers your question a little. It is a beautiful answer. I'm wondering if you get resistance though from clients saying, no, I, I want to lose weight and I want to change my body. And and by the way, we're not going to be everything for everyone. Not everybody's ready to say, it is about how I feel in my body and it is about how I move in my body. So, you know, we're not going to meet everybody's needs, if that's the right way of putting it. But do you get a lot of resistance from clients? I luckily enough, I have not received much resistance at all. However, I will say that recently since launching my own more nutrition coaching focused business, which I haven't really got into much yet, I've been talking about the services that I will offer. However, I don't currently coach anyone nutritionally. Um, part of that is because I'm not a registered dietitian yet. However, I do see that a lot of people will message me saying, can you give me macros? Can I count my macros? And that's the point where I have to be straight up and honest with the person and be like, maybe I'm not the person for you. And that's okay. Like you said, we're not going to be the clinician or whatever, whatever it may be for someone else. What is exercise like for you? I know for, I, Forgive me if I'm paraphrasing, but I think I heard you on one of your podcast episodes saying that you you were an athlete, correct? Yes. So explain if you can, because athletes can abuse exercise. That's and athletes are also very physical people that like a lot of movement and exercise. So I'm not saying that anybody who's an athlete has an exercise addiction. I'm not saying that, you know, there's, there's so many, so many places where we can go with this, but how do you incorporate healthy exercise as an athlete when someone's had an eating disorder? How does it feel for you and, and things like that? Yeah, so I can definitely touch on that a lot with my own experience as exercise and movement 
was a huge driving factor in my eating disorder. So growing up, I was a competitive gymnast for about 10 years. So that is very rigorous training. I was in the gym 30 plus hours a week. And then I transitioned into playing um, high school basketball and soccer. So still, I was training a ton. And even in high school, I remember having basketball or soccer practice after school, and I would still wake up at 5 a.m. before school and get in a weightlifting session. So it was very obsessive throughout all of high school. However, when I went to college, I did not have my sports anymore. I didn't have that, I guess, athlete label anymore. And it was my senior year when I started my Instagram account, previously known as JB4Fit, actually. So it was very fitness-based. It was me only posting workout videos and things along those lines. So that became my identity in a sense, which fueled the eating disorder because my identity was the fit girl or the healthy girl and things like that. So coming to college when I didn't have my sports anymore, like I mentioned, I leaned on exercise and solely going to the gym. And I was over-exercising, spending way too much time in the gym as I was also walking around in a very large campus all day, walking from class to class. So I was already already getting in so much movement that way. And then that on top of that was just too much. But at the time I thought it was, I guess, healthy. Um, and then, so I would always work out at the university gym and that's where I worked out all of freshman year and all of sophomore year of college. And then COVID hit, I moved back home all gyms were shut down. So kind of my life was flipped upside down in a sense. And at this point, I was into my recovery, but I was still leaning on exercise as a form of control. I think I had become more, I guess, open with the food aspect and freed around different foods. However, exercise was still a very large aspect of control. And I would never say that I am thankful for COVID happening. So many terrible things happened from it. But I think there was also so many amazing mindset shifts that were almost forced upon me at the time because I had to change up what I was doing. I had to change the lifestyle I was living as I was living at home, didn't have access to a gym. So during COVID, I began starting to try new forms of movement. I remember just going in my basement and I would do 20 minute yoga flows, like just from a YouTube video. And that really helped me to get into my body and realize that there are different kinds of movements than just the movements I was doing in the past. And then moving back to Columbus, sorry, this might be a little all over the place, but okay. And then moving back to school this past summer. So this would have been about a year ago. Now I moved back to school into a new house and I joined a completely different gym and away from my university, away from campus. And this was an essential thing for me. I was actually just talking about this on my podcast um, the other day. And I think that we sometimes underestimate environmental triggers, if that make it makes sense, because there was one point last summer, I walked back into my university gym and I felt triggered by it because I suddenly remembered the behaviors that I would engage in there and the over-exercise that I would do and completely, completely removing myself from that environment and going to a different gym was something that I had to do for myself. This other gym is 
filled with actually older adults and people that are more focused on strength training to become stronger. There's a lot of power lifters there. And I also do want to shout out my older sister because this is her gym that she's went to for years. And she introduced me to it and she's a power lifter herself. And just doing this really shifted my mindset around, um, I guess, weightlifting specifically because I was no longer weightlifting for aesthetic reasons and I was weightlifting for performance-based reasons. And that has been key in my recovery and also just speaking on to how my exercise and movement routine has changed. I used to, you know, go to the gym six times a week, just way too much. And now I will go maybe four or maybe three and I don't really care. And I know that my body needs rest because I know that when I allow my body rest days, I go into the gym feeling that much better and just with that much more energy. So it makes me more excited to work out and it's not a punishment. It's something to enjoy. I, I think one of the things that you said that was really quite important is changing the environment because we don't always have control over our environment. And there are times when we have to stay within the same environment and cannot change. And how do we help clients adapt to the environment in a way that they're still being true to themselves, but they're not being bombarded by triggers? I also want to say kudos to you because moving gyms is an environment that you can change. And that's a recovery-focused decision, which is I'm going to go somewhere new and I'm going to start different because this place is too triggering for me. And so I'm going to find something that that matches my energy or the energy I'm trying to trying to get to at this point. And so, you know, Jacqueline, every step of the way you did the you went opposite from the eating disorder and which is really a, a beautiful way of moving through the recovery process. And, you know, we've also talked about that, you know, people can exercise like exercise is not a demon it's not a bad thing but you know you learned no i can't exercise six times a day i mean six times a week forgive <laughs> me everyone i need or i need rest time i need time to actually heal my body and also get excited about going back to the gym so three or four times a week like you know it's just it's it's really it's really lovely hearing how the whole process unfolded. By the way, I'm also only speaking to the things that seem to work in your favor. I'm sure there were a lot of really, really hard challenges, especially doing this in college. Does college add any triggering aspects? Yeah, I think that it definitely can. I So I'm in a sorority and last year I did, did live in my sorority house. And I would say that just diet talk and body talk was very prevalent and something that I had to block out because in a sorority, we have, you know, date parties and events and you're wearing dresses and things that you don't usually wear and something that might've been sitting in your closet for a year or so. And there's talk around, you know, fitting into your dress. And I would just say that diet culture is definitely very prevalent on college campuses. However, again, coming back to COVID this year, I 
have not been around as many people and I have been spending much more time in my own house, in my own room with all my classes on Zoom. So I haven't even been like walking around campus that much. I don't go to the campus gym anymore. So it kind of has allowed me to separate myself and focus on myself more and what I need in this moment. However, I still do have those social connections. And I think that that is also a huge thing that recovery has brought me. Um, Just for example, going out to dinner with some of my sorority sisters or going to get ice cream and feeling okay with it and embracing that spontaneity that I used to fear so much in my freshman year of college. What made you decide to start a podcast? Because, you know, it's, it's quite, it's, first of all, it's a lot of work, right? This is, this is not something that we do in one hour and then move on. So it's a lot of work. You're in the middle of school and things like that. And you're also talking about something that's pretty vulnerable for you. So how did you go about starting the podcast and how has it impacted you? Yeah, it's interesting because I found myself last year while I was in lockdown at home during COVID going to podcasts as a very strong recovery source for me. And it made me feel less alone listening to other people's stories and listening to other clinicians like you speak to recovery and speak that it is possible. So podcasts were always something that motivated me, inspired me. And I think I'm a very, uh, what's it called? Like just like an audio listener. Like I feel like I learn very well that way. So podcast had a special place in my, in my heart for a while. And then after second or after first semester of this past year over Christmas break, I had posted something on my Instagram story and was like, you know what, I kind of want to start a podcast. Like, does anyone know anything about podcasts? Does anyone want to listen? What do you want me to talk about? I didn't know exactly where I was going to start, but I was like, I have time right now. And this is something that I want to do. And I know how much it helped me. So maybe I can use my own story to help others and interview other guests to help others like I had listened to in the past. So I really just researched online how to start it and kind of just spent time over winter break doing it myself. And it has been so fun for me because I love making the connections, like the real connections, like we're talking right now face-to-face. And if podcasts weren't a thing, I never would have met you. I never would have met so many of the guests that I have interviewed. And I always say that podcasts are probably like my favorite platform just because it's so personal, like even compared to Instagram and things like that. So I guess that's just kind of the story as to how I started mine. Is there anything, you know, I'm trying to imagine if somebody said to me, like, what is something that, you know, you've learned from doing pot, from doing your podcast, or I don't even know how I'd answer that. Like, I'd be like, oh my God, I need a whole, I need a week to think about that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Is it okay for me to ask you, like, what what has come up for you? What have you learned from doing your own podcast? Yeah, I think that one, being vulnerable is a great thing because there are more people than you know or you think that actually will relate and resonate with you. For so long, I was scared to share my story and 
thought I would thought I would get almost just like judged for it. But the moment I was able to be vulnerable, and especially on my podcast, I feel like more and more people have reached out to me and been like, I've been struggling with the same thing. And it's amazing to see how you're going through recovery and it's inspiring me. So I think that being vulnerable and just realizing it's helped me realize that I'm not alone. And it also has helped me realize that everyone has a different story, but it's beautiful um, because of all the different guests that I have interviewed. Everyone's story is so much different, different, but at the same time, there seem to be bits and pieces that resonate between everyone, um, which is really cool as well. Yeah, I bet. What's it like being in a sorority and having a podcast about eating disorders? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I actually have had one of my friends in my sorority um, tell me that she has struggled with an eating disorder herself. So that was really cool because I feel like we could make a deeper connection and have a deeper friendship based off of that. And it felt really good to know that she felt like she could trust me to tell me that um, in turn, because I have trusted I guess myself and my audience to share my story and all of the other feedback I have received has actually been very positive, which I'm incredibly thankful and grateful for. Um, Even if they haven't listened to my podcast, they have complimented me on the shift that I've made on my Instagram. Like I mentioned earlier, it was very fitness focused um, prior to, and I have totally kind of 180, changed my name. I speak about my eating disorder. I speak about mental health and all of those different things. So I have received very positive feedback and people that are glad I'm spreading the message because I think that it's not shared enough in the college setting. It's so interesting because it sounds like for you and for a lot of people, part of the eating disorder, and when I say part, we know there's a lot that goes into it. Part of the eating disorder was for you to be seen. Like you talked about being seen as an athlete, you know, being seen as a gymnast, all these things. And it wasn't until you, or mm, I don't think I should say it like that, but it sounds like now you're being seen for you, which is the best label to ever have the label of you. And now you're being seen for your vulnerability. And now you're being seen for your courage. And for the fact that you're giving other people permission to say, I struggle too. And it's okay to say it. That's really, really cool, Jacqueline. It is. It's very, it's very inspiring to see because I think that when you're in an eating disorder, you feel completely isolated and you feel completely alone. I remember feeling that I had a lot of shame. And before going to like a therapist, I thought that it was my fault. And my parents at the time, they didn't understand what eating disorders were either. So they were just trying to do their best and what they thought was their best to help me. However, it really led to more shame and more guilt because our relationship was being harmed and all of those things. But it is incredibly freeing just to spread the word about it and that I think it is more prevalent than many people know. I think there's a lot more human suffering on this earth than people know. And I I don't always, when I say human suffering, I don't even mean 
existential suffering. It's it's just we are humans and we go through things as big as COVID and as small as uh, sleeping through your alarm. And I don't know why I just use that as an analogy, but so suffering is obviously on a on a continuum, but we are taught to not show any of it, not the sleeping through the alarm or the fears of COVID. And so this is where I'm fine comes from, right? How's everything? I'm fine. And so again, you're giving people permission to say, oh, I'm human. That's what I am. I'm human. And as a human, I have some struggles. Do you have friends that come up to you and ask you to, you know, be their, be their therapist or be their dietitian or, you know, what do they ask you for advice? And by the way, is that triggering? Because I also want to point out that because you're very young in the recovery process, like if I have a friend now who came to me and said, Karen, I'm struggling with an eating disorder, I would, you know, envelop them, if that's the right word, with love and compassion and whatnot but i'm i'm 25 years recovered if i was very early in the recovery stage and one of my friends said i'm struggling i don't know how that would impact me it would have a different impact because as you said earlier eating disorders can be an illness of comparison so what happens when people are coming up to you and, and saying things mm-hmm. yeah so i can't say that i've really had anyone truly come up to me and say, like, I'm struggling currently. I mentioned the girl in my sorority that said she had struggled with an eating disorder, but she was also in recovery as well. So I haven't had that come up. But one thing that I will say that I noticed is that I will have several friends that ask me for general life advice and things like that, because I do offer a lot of mental health advocacy and things like that on my Instagram. And my friends see that and they know that I'm passionate about about that and that I have insight just about your thoughts and your feelings, whatever it may be, even if it's not related to food, it could be related to relationships or whatever it may be. And so I definitely do have friends come to me about that, which makes me feel very good. And I think that I have done so much self-growth and self-development through recovery of my eating disorder. So it has allowed me to learn about myself and in turn help others as well, learn about themselves or learn about how to handle situations that they're dealing with that aren't related to food, body, movement, whatever it may be. And then I do want to add on alongside of that, that I have had people ask me, Jacqueline, what are you studying? And I say medical dietetics and they say, oh, so like that's nutrition. Can you tell me what to eat? So I get that question and I'm like, I'm like, no, like that's not, that's not really exactly it. Cause first of all, you can't legally tell someone what to eat or like prescribe someone a meal plan, I guess, until you are a registered dietitian. And then I always add on, there's so much more to food and nutrition than what you eat and having a meal plan. And I don't really believe in that. I believe that all foods fit and that all foods fit in a balanced diet. And that's pretty much it. So I'm not the person to come to, to tell you what to eat. Sorry. (laughs) You also said people come to you about their other mental health issues and you, you referenced it like people come to you now. 
if if we were going to go underneath eating disorder behaviors, it's typically all the other stuff that you were just talking about, relationship issues, or, you know, there's insecurities and there's trauma and all this. So because you're no longer in your eating disorder, you're present enough that your friends want to connect with you on that real level. They don't even have to connect with you on the food level and be like, I can't eat or I can't stop eating or whatever. I can't stop exercising or whatever it is. They actually see you as a present person that they can be vulnerable with and and courageous and authentic. And they're they're talking to you about the real life stuff. And by the way, that's beautiful, Jacqueline. That's that's a wonderful, wonderful gift to have for yourself and to and to share with others. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for pointing that out because that's not even something that I have necessarily thought about. But because I do have so much more brain space now and my thoughts aren't so focused on food and exercise or whatever it may be, that is an amazing point. And that's something that is so true. And I just find that I have so many other passions and so many other things to offer to this world and to my friends and just to put out there beyond my eating disorder. So, yeah. This is when I, when I say to clients, what else would you be doing with your time and your energy and your thoughts if you weren't ruminating about food, weight, exercise, purging, laxatives, binging, like what, and, and what you do is you become this really beautiful open soul that people want to connect with. And that's what happens with most people, right? Yes. Jacqueline, I am so sorry because we're, we're going to have to start winding down in a minute, but is there anything, anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share on the podcast? Anything that you you just wanted to say or before? And by the way, I do have a final question. So don't, you're not getting away that easily, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I would just love to share that there is hope and there is a way out of this. If you're listening right now and you're struggling, I just want you to know that there's a way out of it. There is hope for you because I remember when I was in my eating disorder, I thought that it was going to be something that I was struggling with forever and that things would never change and that it was just going to be a constant in the rest of my life. However, the freedom that I have gained from recovery, like we were just talking about the mental capacity and the spontaneity that I have gained, that's been a huge thing for me because I missed out on, I just feel like so many fun social events of just going to get ice cream randomly and things like that. And now that I can do that, it makes my friendships and my relationships so much deeper as well. So just know that you can do this and you just have to stay strong. And also don't be too hard on yourself because I'm a recovering perfectionist and it's important for me to remind myself that recovery isn't linear and there's going to be days that are hard and it's just how you handle those days and how you handle those thoughts. For example, not judging yourself about your thoughts. Like I said, just getting curious, journaling, finding a different coping mechanism than your eating disorder and eventually you'll come out the other side. So yeah, that's what I would say. Well said. That was really, really beautiful. Before we end and kind of coming away from this beautiful energy right now, I have a final question for you. And that question is, Jacqueline, if someone were to write about you on a bathroom stall, what would it say? 
I love this question. And I'm not sure how long something would necessarily be that's written on a bathroom stall, but if I could maybe sum it down into like one sentence, I would say that Jacqueline probably always has a trick up her sleeve and something that she is working on to put out to the world to help others because of the passion and the deep drive that she has. I feel like if I could title that for your episode, use that as a really, really long title, that's what it would be because that just sums you up in a nutshell. Yep. I'm glad you can see that because I feel like that's definitely something that people noticed right away about me. Jacqueline, it was absolutely a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you so much again for having me. My pleasure. All right, everyone. That does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. To wrap for this week's episode of Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. And I thank each and every one of you for tuning in with me. You can view more from today's episode, including guest information and excerpts by visiting www.karenlewisedc.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to future shows by searching Recovery Bites on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. All right, everybody, be well and thanks for listening to my bite for the week.